whatever relationship that you have to say it's the opposite gender, it's a reflection of how you are with your inner opposite of what that relationship is. So if you want to have a strong, passionate, intense, you know, like connection with the opposite sex, you need to have that inside as well in order to sustain it on the outside. And that's independent of, you know, your orientation or your gender identity. It's really, you know, just these primal forces and attractions and polarities that we, we have. Welcome to Crazy Wisdom. I'm your host, Luke Antrop. Crazy Wisdom is our show about the wild, the unexpected and interesting places we find ourselves in during our quest to live a life of deeper meaning and deeper truth. My hope is with each conversation and each story, you discover a new part of yourself on your journey towards making the most out of this one wild and precious life. This is a Soulfire production. I am thrilled to be joined on this week's show by Kamala Devi McClure. Kamala Devi is a mystic, a muse, a mentor. She's an author of several books and a teacher. I met Kamala Devi at a retreat not so long ago. Uh, welcome to the show, Kamala Devi. Thanks, Luke. It's really great to connect with you again. Yes. Yeah, we met in the desert outside of San Diego for an eight-day event that was really focused on this concept of sexual shamanism and deep, meaningful experiences around sacred sexuality. And I thought... Like, what better way to introduce you to this crazy wisdom community than maybe just sharing a bit more about like this idea of sexual shamanism? How does that sound? Sounds good. The concept's kind of a controversial, of course. Um, it's at the edge of, you know, what what a lot of people think of when they think of of shamanism is plant medicines and or um, indigenous tribes, and then um, when people think about sex, of course, there's a whole. That's another whole bag of associations, but sex shamanism is really this emergent new, and I say new, but it's obviously ancient, but the fusion of what it is to use eros and sexuality and desire even as the medicine to take us into other states so that we can divine and channel and uh, vision for, for ourselves, the healing of ourselves and our tribes. So that's the most essential definition, but obviously a lot goes under that umbrella. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I experienced this in such a deep way with you in your program. And, you know, I think the, the key for me is this idea of healing, right? There's something about bringing, and we've talked about this on, a, on this show quite a bit, actually, with like when we bring erotic energy into a healing endeavor, it takes it to depths that other modalities can't in other ways. It just reaches places in the human soul and the body mind that other things can't touch. Right. Mm -hmm. And I certainly experienced that in some of the practices that you lead. Um, I'm just wondering if you might say a word or two about like, why is this, you know, this idea of sexual healing, why is it different than other forms of healing? It's interesting because, you know, healing is making whole, right. It's, it's becoming integral and like what, what's more whole than life force energy itself. Like sex is too, whether it's two beings coming together, merging as one, it's a, it's a type of a fusion. So sex in, inherently has that merging, that fusion, that wholeness, and it brings us into something that's bigger than us. It, it, it creates a oneness experience. So bringing that, and, and, and at the basic level, because I, I want to just say, 
you don't have to be a sex shaman to have experienced like really hot, juicy sex where you melt away, something mystical happens and you're just like, whoa, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) We can all just say that happens in sex, right? And uh, to make it even more accessible, like I have like my grandma, like I have people I know who are, you know, past what they, they're more conventional. They, they don't even, even have sex much anymore. And uh, my grandmother used to be a ten- tennis player and she used to have uh, knee and hip problems, but she knows that when she gets turned on or she gets really enlivened, that she can send that juicy life force energy to her knee or to her hip and mm-hmm. it's more healing. And she was like, that's sex, like that's sexual healing. And it's like, that's what the Taoists did. They would generate this sexual energy and send it to their kidneys or, you know, to their internal organs. And it doesn't have to be a relational practice. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a way in which it can, it can certainly impact the physical body. I've also experienced, you know, in, in some of the practices that you've led, there's a deep healing around just the psychological wounds that we carry, the wounds of the past, even generational wounds. And there's a way in which it can transmute some pretty deep and pervasive shadows. Yes. Yeah. And what you're pointing to is where that it's not just about healing, you know, your knee and your hip or things right here and now, but Mm. the shamanism comes in when we start tapping into these different dimensions. So you mentioned psychological dimension, emotional dimension, like we're multidimensional beings. And part of shamanism is being able to, you know, traverse those various worlds. And it's, it's really like a shape shifting and time traveling and using the sexual energy in order to, to journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, part of this show is, is a storytelling show, right? Like this, that's part of what we do here is Mm -hmm. tell stories about all of the different wild places we find ourselves in, in our quest to live from a place of deeper wholeness. Right. And I I have to just share a, a brief story from my time with you in the desert. Part of the practice was in the realm of like healing aspects of ourself, right. Around our own sexuality. And I, I went back in time and, and started looking at how my childhood impacted my relationship and my beliefs about myself and sexuality and what was okay and what wasn't. And I really traced it back to like the way the church that being raised in the Catholic church and how painful that experience was as a, as a sexual being, right? How much was just shamed and put in the shadows. Right. And I think a lot of us have had this experience. And as I kind of traced it back, I started, it was like a, going into a deep trance, like a deep, deep meditation where images started emerging in my mind's eye and, and um, figures in my own lineage, my ancestors. I started getting pictures way, way back of ancestors, particularly on my father's side from the Nordic Germanic areas of Northern Europe. And I started to talk to these, in my mind's eye, talk to these ancestors who had a choice to make about joining the church or living from like these earth honoring, you know, pagan ways of like understanding the rhythms and the, and the rituals of the earth, right? And there was this, this choice that my ancestors had to make. This was the information that came to me, right? Like some of my ancestors chose to die rather than to like join the church and others loved their families so much that they chose to 
assimilate into the church. And in this experience of like really pulling back all the layers, I started to heal the parts of myself that have always felt torn about the church and sexuality. And I, I share that as one example of the way that we can, there's some just profoundly deep uh, healing that can happen. Like I'm literally talking to ancestors that maybe were from a thousand years ago and the choices they made around sexuality and spirituality and how that still lives on in me and in my DNA and in my lineage. And to really come to a place of understanding is super healing. And the choice to reclaim now, celebrating the reclamation that happens. So if you go on a journey and you're communing with your past, uh, whether it's past lives or ancestors or even just past influences, what you're doing is recapitulating. You're, you're gathering your own energy for the moment. It's kind of like a retrieving of soul parts that are lost in anywhere you're leaking your energy. And in, in that case, it was like, oh, past timelines are taking up my bandwidth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I use the, the example of a computer that closes <laughs> programs that it's running that it doesn't need anymore. Yeah. Right on. Okay. That's great. I mean, one of the other just beautiful experiences I had was this idea of like an inner marriage, right? This idea that there are aspects of internally to ourselves, masculine, feminine, that when we spend a lot of time kind of scanning the world around us to find others to help feel whole, right? And if we can, in these kind of deeper shamanic ways, take the focus out of the external world to have people kind of fill the hole in ourselves and we can actually bring those parts of ourselves together in communion. My goodness, how, how deep, how much more deep we can live and how much more fulfilled we can live. I'm wondering if you might just say a word or two about this idea of like inner marriage and, and communion with oneself. It's one of my favorite explorations um, because it points to how we're always in relationship you know, with everything all the time. Like that's part of being in the web of life, but it's also inside. Uh, we, you know, we've heard this as above, so below. It's like as inside, it's also it manifests outside. And so mm-hmm. what I want to point at is uh, whatever relationship that you have to, uh, you know, say it's the opposite gender, it's, it's a reflection of how you are with your inner opposite of what that relationship is. So if you want to have a strong, passionate, intense, you know, like connection with the opposite sex, you need to have that inside as well in order to, you know, to sustain it on the outside. Yeah. And that's independent of, you know, your uh, orientation or your gender identity. It's really you know, just these primal forces and attractions and polarities that we, we have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so beautiful. One of your books that I just love is Sex Shamans. It's this kind of collection of just wild stories. It's very much in the spirit of this show, which is crazy wisdom, right? These just wild places we find ourselves in, in our journey towards claiming lost parts of ourselves. And um, you've kind of, you've, you've edited this book and just grab some of the like most amazing, mm-hmm. beautiful uh, stories from people. So um, yeah, loved the book, highly recommend it. Great. And um, 
as part of that, I've just, we got, you know, you write about your own journey and your own journey about this idea of pulling in lost parts of yourself in this really unique and, and different way. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing with this community a little bit about your journey to wholeness around, you know, some, some parts of yourself that maybe were left in the past and, and how that informs how you identify today. We were just talking about the intermarriage, and I will say that my journey has recently been really rich around around gender. And mm. I would say I'd say recently because I mean it's an ongoing evolution, you know. So I so I wrote the book, and this is one of the burdens of memoir like stories is that we're these creators of our own reality, which are which is constantly evolving. So the book is based on the question of like wow, what, tell me about your sexual awakening. Like, how did you become who you are? And I'm like, great, let me tell you this, you know, like through being a lesbian, how I woke up to being beyond uh, any kind of gender labels and, and being the life force itself. And then when I tell my story, I don't want people to think, well, that's the way. So I'm going to tell 19 other stories of sex shamans because then we see how unique that journey is for everybody which gives permission to you to be totally, you know, on your journey. Um, but then these 19 other sex shamans are also in the hot, uh, frothy edge of evolving. <laughs> so it's yeah. just really a snapshot of this is that point in their life when they really woke up, you know, to who they are and what they're here for. But that's still an ongoing unfolding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so my, yeah. You know, my unfolding recently, I just want to name, is uh, way beyond gender identification and, and politics around identity. It's around the soul's journey, like hmm. the, the soul I'm experiencing isn't feminine or masculine or even like as Jung would propose that we have this inner anima and animus. It's more this hermaphroditic extreme that is expressed partially in form. But my journey right now is to embody that hermaphroditic soul more and more in the flesh. That's beautiful. And what does that look like? I'm just curious for you embodying a hermaphroditic soul. What, like, what is that day to day kind of in your, in your deepest expression of your, of who you are? What, what does that look like for you? It's interesting because it looks like me listening to what I've always felt as me. I just couldn't access before as much. So it's, it's like just becoming more and more myself. <laughs> now, specifically, um, I mentioned, you know, I identified as a lesbian prior to my awakening. You know, I was, um, <laughs> you know, I had seven years, deep relationships with women. And during that time, I thought, oh, who I am is this. And it expresses with women in this way. Um, but that just was a, a partial experience that was also informed and hijacked by hormones. Because <laughs> hormones, are, you know, I like these physical uh, lenses through which we're seeing the world. And um, now that I'm pansexual and I'm, you know, in this open marriage of 20 years, I'm able to explore, well, what's the truth of my hormone journey even? 
you know, I'm in perimenopause um, and starting to microdose really testosterone and feeling the frequencies that come with, you know, a daily dose of testosterone that allow me to feel more and more myself, uh, which mm. is to say um, I'm seeing the world through lenses that I couldn't access when I was just in, in the, you know, in the cascade of female chemicals. Wow. Wild. And, and so this, this is coming from a place in you of like realizing that there's a fuller expression that, that hasn't yet arrived in you, or, or there's like a, a gap between who you've been and who you're becoming. I'm just curious that impulse to like be more fully expressed. What's that? How does that occur for you? Yeah, it's a really great question because I know a lot of non-binary and trans people who, and it's, it's, it's beautiful to identify. It's like, oh, I, I don't feel like myself and I'm in pain. And I, I have what's called dysphoria around not feeling like I can inhabit, for example, uh, you know, a biocock. If, I, if I'm a female spirit and I'm in a male body, like this penis doesn't feel like it's mine and that's really uncomfortable. And so like what's motivating that journey sometimes is like to create more congruence in the body. And so I, I want to really acknowledge like dysphoria is a good sign that, oh, I'm not fully inhabiting my body and being myself. Um, I don't have dysphoria um, in the same way. There are times, there are aspects. I think all you don't have to be trans to have dysphoria to be like, hey, this big belly doesn't go on this body or, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like where are these visuals coming from? Or, you know, like mm -hmm. a lot of people look yeah. in the mirror and they're like, what I see in the mirror doesn't match my sense of myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say that, that, that my journey's not coming, my exploration is coming more from a sense of like, how can I be most, most aligned with my potential? And I genuinely feel that we all have these, ex, you know, extraordinary potentials that are actually biz, bigger than 3D. Like who you are doesn't fully fit in your physical form. Um, and how you access that totality of who you are, um, like what are the practices, what are the, even the foods, what are the, um, routines that help you access the highest template of self you know and mm. in a way it kind of takes the shamanism into biohacking like okay yeah. well, what um how you know how do you become the optimal self <laughs> yeah. that's that's the journey i'm pursuing and what i recognized was like oh i'm wanting the i couldn't access the frequencies of my masculine self as well without the testosterone Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we can all like this. I think it's just like a very common human experience of feeling like kind of boxed in by cultural norms and, and even like gender and orientation. There's a way in which it's like, um, it's very limiting for most humans, I think in some way. And, and, uh, I just have mad respect for people that like yourself that are just like really in a place of exploration and kind of pioneering ways to bend that and to, biohack it. I'm so curious, like what, uh, what's it like to live a life with, with female hormones <laughs> flooding your system and then to add testosterone? 
what has that done to your mind and your body? And yeah, it's been, you know, so I'm two years into this exploration and, um, I also been, you know, blocking my estrogen and, uh, the experience, you know, in, in addition to some of the cliches, like, well, libido is so much higher, (laughs) 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 exquisitely obvious. Uh Um, But in addition to that, there's also really subtle, surprising um, differences that I thought had to do with the wiring of the brain, but it's really like, or the programming. And it's like, oh, actually, all it is is one shot a week. I, you know, I take a shot and all of a sudden I'm visually stimulated by the world differently. Like, whereas before it was an emotional feeling way in the world. And then I'm finding myself, my turn on being visual Mm -hmm. or um, finding, God, there's that classic, classic debate between women and men. And it's very like stereotypical, like she wants to just be heard and to, to complain or, or, you know, talk about the problem and he wants to fix it, you know, like <laughs> create a solution, troubleshoot, solve it. And that is this age old debate, which there was a turning point in my journey where I'm just like, wow, this would be so much simpler if we just put together some solutions <laughs> and <stop laughs> <being laughs> the problem. And, <laughs> and that wasn't accessible. It was kind of conceptual for me before. And now it's just, accessible. Hmm. That's, that's just fascinating. <laughs> it, 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 in some ways it kind of like, it kind of validates some of the cultural stereotypes around gender, right? Around, or at least around the differences in sex, maybe different than gender, but the difference between male bodies and female bodies, um, in a certain way. Yes. For sure. And, you know, within stereotypes, there's usually like a kernel of truth mm-hmm. and stereotypes are problematic when we generalize, right? So somebody looks at a glance and I'm so feminine Mm. uh, presenting. Like, (laughs) you know, if somebody sees me and they're looking aesthetically, physically at me, I look very like feminine. And then for them to overlay that they then know how I'm going to be or what is, is an example of how stereotypes get us in trouble because they're not going to actually see, you know, the medicine that I offer and the, the um, non-binary perspective that I bring to the to the world. Yeah, yeah, that, it's it's really fascinating. I know one of the I've heard you speak about like this idea of etheric cocks or etheric wombs, and there's this idea that like we again in this quest for wholeness, right, to not be boxed in just in the bodies we're born in, that there are there's kind of like an energetic balancing that can happen. So for you, you're born with a womb, but you identify with this idea of an energetic cock. I'm just wondering if you might say a word or two about what does that mean? And how does that, how does that kind of inform, you know, the, the fullest expression of who you are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first thing I want to name for, for anyone who finds that a really abstract out there concept is, have there been times when you're making love and you know there that merging is so deep where you feel like 
wow, that their cock that's inside me is mine, or I'm inside this yoni so deep that it's like it's my flower blossoming, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like that that moment when you're like, ooh, I'm I'm falling through to that that part of me. And in truth, if we're in a binary body, so unless we're born with both genitals, which is you know it's an anomaly that does happen, and then is often you know responded to with surgery. But like if we're born in a binary body, most of us uh, have had those that that longing for the opposite, the other, and that longing for that other is sometimes even a, a longing to feel our own wholeness. And that pull, whether it's a magnetic like feeling or an electric like feeling, like that pull. Um, like when we cultivate that, when we own that, when we work with those energies, you know, between our legs or between our nipples, because it is also like there's etheric breasts and there's, um, but when we work with that energy, we recognize that, that we have the opposite, the template of the opposite is within all of us. Um, and you know, you're asking me like, how is that, you know, for for me, it's it's cultivating a relationship with the highest template of what I can access even beyond this physical body, which is a cosmic cock. You know, like I have, I have this really beautiful um, pole that wants to penetrate and that isn't just, you know, my partner's, but it's wants to penetrate the heart of humanity, wants to Mm. penetrate the divine. That is a practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. So, so we can kind of decide, you know, in a way like that there's something deep within us at an energetic level. So for me, I, you know, I can relate to this idea of a womb within me that could birth and, and gestate and birth some something that the world needs and that I can build something with my own, my own essence, my own body, like, mm-hmm. right? Like we all kind of can make a choice in that way that just because the body we're born in doesn't mean that we can't, there's a bo- the body we're born in doesn't necessarily need to dictate how we move energetically through the world. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and birthing is, is one beautiful example like of the of the feminine you know fertility mm-hmm. but there's also the longing and i just want to name how how sweet it is when a man touches into his womb feels just this longing to be filled to be um there's there's that it's kind of like the hole in your heart that takes you to god mm-hmm. that's the experience in the womb and it's so vulnerable for men to be in the stillness and the depth of that longing and to recognize how much power is in that pull. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, uh, there's so much power in, in our longing, right? This is the, the, you know, as Rumi says, it's the secret cup, right? It's, it is the, the longing for the divine, for God, that, act, that actually is the act of love is the longing itself mm-hmm. that brings us closer. And, um, I know for me, uh, longing is a thing I used to kind of paper over and stuff aside. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I really created enough space to allow my heart to yearn, to feel, uh, unmet desires and unmet needs, 
um, it becomes just such a, a guide and a beacon for what I truly want and need. And it's actually, I think in some ways like this necessary ingredient for us to live a life that is, uh, you know, where we're really creating the life that we dream. We are being in touch with our longing, whether it's in relationship or just broadly is, is just so critical in that way. Got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you have pushed some boundaries in your exploration of gender and, and attraction. And as part of that, I know your story is, is one around non-monogamy and polyamory. And I'd love to just understand a little bit more about the nuances of that in, in your journey. I know one of the things that I think I've, that I find of great benefit in, in kind of non-monogamous breaking down the the cultural framing of default monogamy is this idea of like overcoming jealousy and like um, transmuting our jealousy into what is called compersion. I'd love to just hear your perspective on like jealousy and, and ways to work with it. And which I know is really kind of fundamental in, in kind of the realms of non-monogamy, right? Mm, yes and no. <laughs> okay. Um, so, (laughs) so for me, the fundamental pull to non-monogamy is to love freely, you know, is to free love really. And so in the shadow of that, uh, you know, jealousy has some like hooks of possessiveness or some, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like I want this for me and I don't want this for others or, you know, so I will name that, that you know, jealousy is potentially <laughs> a um, consequence of this immense impulse for free love. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to also name like, you know, my talk about, you know, shamanic healing of past timelines. Like I'm Latina and my mm-hmm. ancestors, like I came from many, mer- many, many, um, jealous women whose marriages ended in, you know, like jealous rages. And like these, these impulses are deep in my being. Um, and I may not ever, I may not heal that in my lifetime. Like that is still has a huge hold over my biology. Hmm. Um, but I don't let my biology dictate (laughs) my, um, life choices. Um, so specifically, you know, this question of how to overcome jealousy is often what people will ask, like, Oh, if you're going to choose polyamory and you're going to have multiple lovers, you, you know, are you trying to transcend this or overcome this? And I'm like, you know, I, I've given up on trying to overcome it and just make Mm -hmm. friends with it. It's, it's sort of like a, a companion for me. And granted, there are people who get more or less jealous and granted different circumstances pull on different, you know, parts of us that that may or may not trigger jealousy. But I'd say that 90% of the exploration of like love and relationship is, has nothing to do with jealousy for me. That's just like, Mm. okay, there's this piece that goes along with the package. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I will name two though. There, there are periods like when that 10% is up, it's everything mm-hmm. <laughs> and it feels like a hundred percent, but it's just a part of the bigger picture. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, is compersion a 
an emotion for you? And maybe we should just define that. You might, you're probably better situated to define it than I am. But um, jealousy occurs for you at times, not all the time, but it, it arises. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm just curious, like, do you also feel compersion? Yes. So as an active practice, my, not only is my partner's pleasure, my pleasure, and like, I'm happy for him and, or her, you know, I have mm-hmm. both, all <laughs> pansexuality is beyond the binary, right? So I have, um, lovers of all genders who I'm happy for, and I can easily be happy for them simultaneously with jealous of, you know, their, their new partners. So this idea that compersion is the opposite of jealousy because you're happy for them. Um, it's not true for me that it's the opposite of there. It's just simultaneously with jealousy. I also am happy. It's a parts conflict for me. I can be happy for someone's happiness and I can be, um, scared of my own loss, or I can be threatened by and afraid that I'm going to lose them. You know, there's all those feelings that Mm. might come or angry that, you know, they didn't check in with me or whatever it is Mm. that jealousy stirs for me. Um, and so compersion is a practice and it's not limited to polyamory. Like I genuinely believe as a cultural practice, we could all benefit from celebrating each other's successes. Like that's Mm. something that will evolve our species pretty quickly if we're all practicing that like win-win orientation. Um, but yes, people in polyamory hold that as a higher value often than people in monogamy. Yeah. The way I've experienced this. So, you know, my own journey around this is that in my twenties, I was in open relationships and very like breaking a lot of norms and boundaries and really in a deep exploration for myself. Right. Like I think my belief is that we all come in with some sort of imprints about who we are. We're kind of like born a certain way and then life happens and we're shaped and we're formed by the pains of life, the betrayals, the joys. It, it like, it shapes this, this sexual being that then we get to kind of over time, uncover and explore and, and, you know, reclaim our wholeness around that. And, and for me, there was a period where this was of the thing to do for me. It was like, it felt like to blow off the lid of the shortcomings and the, the being boxed in by monogamy and do it in a very conscious way. I have to say it was a lot, it was a lot of work. Oh my God. Try having one relationship and then having a second. And then there's a whole lot of processing about the other relationships. So it was a lot of work. Um, but I, I think it was a really, it was a beautiful time for me. And I've come to believe that like, for me, my particular imprint is that I'm monogamous. And that's actually the deepest expression of love and sex for me is to go super deep with one person. It doesn't mean I don't have attraction outside of that relationship, but I think the fullest expression of my, you know, of, of my heart and uh, is to go deep with one, right? Beautiful. I want to celebrate the coming to realize the true nature of your heart. Um, and that your life example is Hey, the conditioning's this way. So I'm, you know, and the pendulum is swung out of balance. So I'm going to swing in the other balance in my 20s and have all this exploration so that I can really find where's my core, where's that that place. And then you are not monogamous out of default. You're now monogamous because you've 
explored the spectrum and you know who you are and this is what your true bandwidth is. And that touches me. I think that's so important. Too many people will either just go along with, you know, this is, this is what we're supposed to do, standard narrative, or they run in the rebellious opposite direction and they're, you know, pendulum swinging and then they get identified with that's who I am. I'm the, you know, I'm contrarian and they, they still don't even know who they are in truth. And then it, what's important to go beyond that uh, reactionary into like, well, where's the true North? And that true North in your case is more monogamous and, um, and, and for me is pretty extreme in the open love field but that true north like the stars like a, a real star in its constellation will move through a lifetime at different times of our lives that true north might actually be in different places mm -hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and I, I you know i think i just have mad respect for those of you that are doing it in such a beautiful like it's very clear <laughs> like i've met you you're you're very clearly open love, open relating. It's not just like who you are to your essence, but it's also like, it's a life mission. Like there's a, there's a very, you made a very clear case around one of the examples of how like free love is actually liberates all beings and is like the evolution our species needs. Right. And there's a, um, that's not the cultural norm The the default is monogamy. So it takes this just deep level of courage and kind of just the full force of like, I am, this is who I am that most people don't have. They don't, they don't get out of the gravitational pull of the cultural norms. So just mad respect in that regard. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I think you're referring to the reality show that we did. Cause I, that would be the biggest storytelling of, you know, let's show the world on showtime, you know, on public access TV, what it's like behind the bedroom door of, you know, multiple families who are practicing that and to actually uh, reveal that for two seasons was, uh, uh, was very much, it took a lot of courage and I, and, and I had to really know who I was to, to do that and face all of the, um, the backlash for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the show, remind us again what the show was. So people that want to check that out. Holly Amory, Married and Dating, um, which is produced uh, by Showtime, and it's still available you know, on, on Showtime. And it's been 10 years since then, but it was a groundbreaking show because prior to that, there was no, there had never been a reality show showing anything but you know, monogamous paradigms. So it's, it's it was pretty radical at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you write about in your, in, in sex shamans, like it's not just that this was a show about a couple that was, you know, exploring open relating. It, it very much followed your family. Like you're like, you made a stand that actually, no, my, my, I want my child to be shown in this. And it, it's like the, the full, the full, the full experience of what it really truly means to live in this way, right? Yeah. And too many people think, oh yeah, that's fine. You can play around in your twenties. You're a pretty mm -hmm. good example of like, oh, I'm a good example of that, right? <laughs> when I used to be gay or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And like, but then when you are, you know, then it's time to settle down and have a family and then you follow the norms. And that's what I think is dangerous is 
the genuine family structure, uh, you know, it's, it's so touching to me when people uh, recognize that like a real family, like a healthy, enlightened family is like, I want you to be who you are and, and mm-hmm. express your, and how do we as families support each other in being in our full expression when dysfunctional, unhealthy families are, I need you to be this because that's the role that you play in our little constellation. And so many of us have dysfunctional families where we don't actually love each other and want to see each other's full expression. Instead, we need each other. And then we end up casting each other in some old role of who we used to be. And we stop evolving with our families. Yeah. Yeah. I'd much rather live in in the world where we're you know, we're all committed to the highest expression of those we love and that, you know, our, our structures and our families' systems kind of support that regardless of what, you know, what, what our choices are and who, who, we, who we're dreaming to be. I want to live in that world. Mm-hmm. So this is Kamala Devi McClure. Thank you so much for taking your time with us today. I really enjoyed the conversation. If people want to know more about your work, get in touch with you, find your books, how do they find you? KamalaDevi.com, which is basically, you know, my name website that has all of my books and offerings. Um, but since you did name Sex Shamans, I wanted to say that this is available on Amazon and anywhere books are sold, which is probably the best way to access medicine exchange that I have that I, you know, stand for and that I have to offer is to read Sex Shamans. And then if after that book, you want to go deeper, then uh, look, look at KamalaDevi.com and see where it takes us. Great. We'll throw those links into the show notes. Uh, thank you again. It's so wonderful to have this conversation with you. I appreciate your time today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crazy Wisdom. If you like what you heard, please do rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen. This helps new people find the show. And maybe more importantly, it helps us grow our crazy wisdom community. My hope for you is between now and the next time you listen, that you try one new thing, one thing that would help you live a life of deeper purpose, deeper meaning, a life of greater love. And maybe that one thing is a little different, a little odd, a little intense, perhaps even a little crazy.